going to jump right into the word this morning. I want to uh, pray one more time. Let's just pray. Father, I just pray as we get ready to move into this word this morning that your hand would be on me. Uh, I, I don't ever take this for granted, uh, Lord, that I have the uh, great privilege of bringing your word. And so I know that in and of myself, uh, my words are meaningless, but your words are everything. So I just pray that you would anoint my words today and uh, that you would give us an ear to hear what your spirit is saying. I pray every distraction in the room. Uh, this morning, whether it be uh, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, God, uh, things on our mind, whatever it is, Lord, that those distractions would be stilled and silenced this morning so that, that we can be ready to receive your word, so that we can be ready to be changed by it, and uh, that, that us as individuals and as a body, Lord, that we launch forward again into your, your purposes and your plans for our church, and we thank you for that, and uh, we love you, we love you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to uh, start, I'm going to say a couple things here at the outset that you probably will think is uh, a little bit hyperbolic, um, dramatic, but I'm not saying them to be dramatic. I'm saying that because I believe it. Sometimes, in fact, I was talking to a couple people this week when I was kind of finally getting ready for this. Um, I preach a lot of messages. Um, I've preached hundreds of messages over the years, and, uh, and they're all good because they're all the Word of God, Amen. Um, but sometimes you just feel like there's something on something that's a little bit more. Uh, and I feel like this series that we're going into right now is, is something that's a little bit more. Um, I, I had, I had a, an occasion one time, uh, and, and it's still, weirdly, it's still kind of, things are still happening. About five or six years ago, uh, I went to uh, our, our church's summer conference, and the uh, I had had a dream, and I, most dreams I have, I don't feel anything about, obviously, but I felt like there was something on it, so I just wrote it down and put it to the side and um, told a couple people about it and just put it kind of forgotten. I went to a, a summer conference that year, and there was a guy speaking who was from Florida who quite obviously had never met me before and didn't know that I had had a dream a couple months before that. And, and, um, and he got up, and he started preaching, and he basically just laid out all that was in this dream that I had a couple months earlier, and uh, that was about um, that was about this, and, and it was about uh, and, and I won't. It's, <laughs> the dream is weird because dreams are weird, right? Um, but in this dream, I was at a fundraiser, and uh, don't worry, this is not going to be all a dream today. That we're going to get to the word here in just a second, okay? But. Um, so in this dream, I was at a fundraiser, and I was supposed to be there because I was part of this, but in my dream, I, I, all these people were around, and, and I had this feeling in my dream that, uh, that all of these people were here just to try to make a name for themselves and, and, and to be seen and, and, and all of that kind of stuff, and I, I felt really out of place there. And so weirdly, I just walked across the street. I know it's a dream. Dreams are weird, right? So I walk across the street to an empty lot. And it's just dirt and, you know, grass and clay and mess. And there's just a bunch of rocks scattered about there. And, and, and so I went over. I, I don't know why. Dreams are weird. I went over and I started building an altar. And, and so I was building this altar, but it was really rough looking because the, the rocks were kind of all jagged and broken up. And so I was just trying to do the best I can to build this thing. And somebody came along and said, you're doing this wrong. You're, you're doing this completely wrong. you you got to use these bricks. And I turned around, and there were all these bricks laying there that I had not seen before. And so they started building this very beautiful-looking altar with these bricks. And, and, uh, and I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And three sides of the altar were built, and I walked around to the front, and I noticed, dreams are weird, that inside of the walls, these people were in there building a play city. And, and, uh, and I got really upset, and I said, you don't understand. This is not a game, and I'm not playing. And then I, I woke up. And so... You know, that's, that's a weird dream, right? So that's unusual. You know, that's not like the pizza burrito thing you ate before you went to sleep kind of thing. So I just, I wrote it down and I just put it away. Well, I went to this meeting a few weeks later, or a couple months later, and the guy is preaching and he, and he says, you know, everybody in the church today wants to build everything out of bricks. And they want everything to be nice and perfect and in place and just right. And the music is just right. And the lighting is just right. And the building is just right. And everybody's just comfortable. And you don't preach too long. And you don't preach too short. And, and he said, but that's not what God is calling us to do. He wants us to take the rocks and the rubble of what we have and what we are. And he wants us just to, to build him an altar. And, and I'm, I'm just sitting there just stunned. 
just stunned. And I told my wife, I said, I had this dream. And she's like, really? And I, we went back to the room after that, and, and I, I, I pulled it out, and I'm like, look at this. I had, I had this very thing. And um, so anyhow, uh, what I felt the interpretation of that was at that point was that God was telling us here at our church, at that point, too, you need to know that this building was rubble. Like, that, that was at the point when we were bouncing from the senior center to the North Bend Community Center to the Mingus Park to wherever it was that we could find to come together to have church. That's where we were having church. We didn't have anywhere to go. And you come in this building, and it's all messed up, and, you know, there's, the floor is disgusting, and, and the ceiling is caving in, and all this kind of stuff that was, was this when we walked in. And so I, I felt like at that point that, that God was really trying to tell us that, that whatever it is that we're building here, that he's going to build it, and it's not going to look perfect like what everybody else does, and, and it's not going to be perfectly shaped or any of those kind of things, but that God is going to take what he's doing here, and he's going to build a real altar, and it's not going to look so pretty all the time, but it's going to be something that he uses to make a huge impact. And so... So that was like four or five years ago. Now, now oddly, I, I received a, a, a word um, here. I'll, I'll say a word um, a few weeks ago uh, from someone that didn't know anything about any of that and, and basically, basically just explained that whole thing to me again. Now, the reason I go into all that is not because I care that you care about a dream or I'm not trying to get everybody to have a dream or anything like that. What I'm trying to say is that I think God's trying to do something in our church and, and I, I want to say this in relationship to this series. I think that this series is something that God's going to use that we're going to look back on in a year or two. And we're going to say there, there was something that happened during that time that, like, shifted everything. And, and the pieces that, that were kind of we weren't sure about started coming together again. Now, I know that sounds dramatic and all that kind of stuff. I'm not trying to sound dramatic. I'm just trying to tell you what my heart is. I feel like that this particular thing we're going into for the next week. By the way, I should say we're going to start this today, and then next week is Easter Sunday, and so Josh uh, is going to be bringing the word, and he's got an amazing word. Uh, he's been sharing some of it with me, so come next week, and then we're going to pick this back up. But I wanted to kind of get going on this, and and I'm calling this paga. Now, that's weird. Uh, that's, that's weird. That's a weird word, but it's a real word. It's a Hebrew word, and it, it actually is the Hebrew word for intercession, so if you're looking in the Old Testament, you know, in Jesus, uh, in Isaiah 53, when it's talking about the lamb that was slain, it says that he makes intercession for us. And, and so often in the Old Testament, when you see interceding or intercession, you'll see that that word in Hebrew is the word pagah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, the interesting thing about that word is it means a bunch of different stuff. It doesn't just mean intercession. If you look up that word in the concordance or, or in Strong's, uh, you know, Strong's or whatever it is, you'll see that that word means a bunch of different stuff, and you'll find that word in some very crazy places in the Old Testament. And each one of those places tell us something about intercession. Because I believe that what God is calling us as a church to is to a deeper, 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 deeper level of intercession a deeper level of prayer, that prayer needs to become more and more the centerpiece of everything that we do, whether it's individually or whether it's corporately as a body, that he's calling us to a deeper level of prayer. And, and that everything, and I know I've been saying this for the last, you know, couple months or something, but everything that we do is going to be empowered and led from the place of prayer. Now, you say, well, that should always be like that. And that's true. And, and we always do endeavor to be that. But I think that God... The, the, we, you, you come into certain times when God shines a light and he says this, I want you to really focus in on this. And, and I believe right now in this kind of season we're in in the church right now is that he really wants us to focus in on this. Uh, a few of the reasons you might throw out there just from the you know, human looking around thing is, you know, basically our country's falling apart at the seams. You know, whatever you think, right? The, the left and the right are fighting, and you got this group and that group, and you got, you got the virus that's messing up the economy, and you got all these things that are going on. I'm not going to talk about that because we've talked it to death, and I'm sick of talking about it. But the fact of the matter is there are things going on in the world that our, our normal level of intercession is not going to press us through those things. And so we have to come to a deeper level, a deeper understanding of what it is that God wants us to know, what he wants us to do, and all of that. And so weirdly... If you look at all these things about this word paga, you find all these different things that tell us what it is that God wants our intercession and our prayer to be. And so I'm not going to talk about any of those today. Because before I can get to some of that, I, I do want to encourage you, if you hear this message, please hear the rest of them. 
because all of this is going to, again, it's going to line up into some things, okay? And, and I, I feel like it's going to blow the roof off our church. I really do. I've been, this is something, some of you know I've been digging around in this for a couple years. So, but anyway, I couldn't start this without talking, firstly, about the most important aspect of having an effective prayer life. Because if I came in and I just started hitting you with all these definitions and all these things and all these scriptures and all of that, we would not be able to, to walk in that level of intercession if we didn't understand this first thing. Okay? And, and the first thing to having a, a, the most effective prayer life weirdly has nothing to do with any prayer that you pray. And this is where we mess up in the church because we, we think, and I'm going to reference this several times throughout the message today, we think that if we're going to have an effective prayer life, it has to do with us praying the right prayers. And so we'll go out and we'll buy 60 books. If you go on my office right now, you'll see almost two entire shelves, bookcases, shelves full of books on prayer. How to pray, what to pray, when to pray, strategies on prayer, five steps to effective prayer. You know, you got to pray in the King James because quite obviously the King James is the the the, the language of heaven is King James English. And so when we pray, we have to say, Thou Father, Thou greatest one in the, the Thouest heavenlies that areth the wonderfulest God. And, and when we can't pray like that, then we say, well, I guess my prayer is not effective. Or if the words don't come out of my mouth in the most profound kind of ways, we say that our prayer is not effective. And so we go searching for all of these different things, books and teachings and all of that. And here I am even talking about it, about how we can have an effective prayer life. But the most effective thing about our prayer life has nothing to do with our prayer. Okay? That has nothing to do with it. And if you don't get this... I'm going to get a little intense a couple times today because this is not a joke. It's not a game. We're not playing. We're not building a play city and a fake altar. We're trying to build a real altar to God here. And I'm going to say some things today. And some of you I know are going to walk out and say, yeah, but. And I'm going to tell you, the second that you say, but, your prayer life is done. Because we have to come to some conclusions and some understandings. And when we get these understandings, we become unstoppable in our prayer life. We can be unstoppable as individuals in our prayer life. We can be unstoppable as a corporate body when we come together to pray. If we will understand and we will comprehend and receive these things and accept no less than what these truths are about prayer. And so that's what I wanted to hit on today. So... I'm going to go to Luke chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to give you my bottom line. Uh, and this is really just tagging off of where we ended last week. In fact, one of the verses I'm going to read today is coming out of our, our Holy Spirit study from last week. And so my bottom line is this. The spirit-filled way is revealed when we say, let us pray. The spirit-filled way. The way that we need to walk, the way that we need to go, the way that we need to talk, the way that we need to act, the way that we need to move is all wrapped up in our prayer, connecting with God and hearing from him. Jesus said, did he not? I don't do anything except what the Father tells me to do. Where is it that Jesus found that place where God told him what to do? He found it in the place of prayer. What is the most pronounced ministry that Jesus had on this earth? You know, if you ask that question, in fact, I was going to ask it on uh, Facebook this week, and then I, I decided not to. But if I said, what is the most the most important, most powerful aspect of Jesus' ministry on this earth. We would say, well, it was his teaching, or it was him dying on the cross, it was his resurrection, or, or whatever it was. But I want to tell you the most important part of Jesus' ministry was prayer. Because if you'll notice all throughout the scriptures, it says he went away to pray. Before he called his disciples, he went away up on a mountain and he prayed all night long. And he did not pick his disciples until he went up on the mountain and prayed all night long. Scripture says Jesus often went off by himself to pray. That he would go off early in the morning away from everybody else and he would spend time with the Father. So when Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing and I only say what the Father tells me to say, we have to track back and realize that we're 
where he's getting that information is not just dropped on his head somewhere, because that's what we want in the church too. Lord, I just want to wander through my life and ignore you, and when you want to talk to me, then you just drop a bomb on my head, and then I'll know what you want. And Jesus said, that's not how I'm going to roll. I'm going to meet you in the secret place of prayer, and I'll tell you everything you need to know, but I want you to come, and I want you to be with me. Okay? And so the spirit-filled way, if you want to know the way of God for your life, it's going to be in that place when you say, it's time for me to go pray. And so let's jump into this. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, I want to read today just for, for clarity's sake from the New Living Translation. It says this. You guys okay? All of that I just said. Now let's get to the good part. Luke 11, 1 and 2. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying... There he is. Now, I want you to notice that as Jesus was praying, his disciples were paying attention to his praying. Okay? Because it says Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, excuse me, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. Now, most of the time, he's going to roll into what we call the Lord's Prayer there. And most of the time when we study this, we go to Matthew chapter 6. And we read that in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, just a few months ago, we went through the whole Sermon on the Mount for, you know, 40 days. And, and we usually jump to that place. But you have to realize that Matthew chapter 6 is not the only place where this is mentioned. Where Jesus tells them, when you pray, this is how you need to pray. Okay. And, 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 and you say, well, why did you stop? Why are you only reading two? Why didn't you go through the whole give us our daily bread and all that kind of stuff? Because that's not the most important part of prayer. Okay? Anybody can pray for your need. Praying for your need is easy. You just take your need and you say, God, meet this need. Right? That's easy. But that's not the most important part. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Be, oh, that's the most important part. Lay down my will and tell God that we want his kingdom to come to earth. It's not the most important part. Do not lead us into temptation. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. It's not the most important part of prayer. He says the most important part of prayer is, Father, may your name be kept holy. Okay? Now watch this. The disciples were with Jesus all the time. You guys okay this morning? The disciples were with Jesus all the time, and they could have asked him about any aspect of his ministry. They could have said, Lord, teach us to prophesy. Lord, teach us how we can get good dreams from God. Lord, teach us how we can preach powerful messages. Lord, teach us how we can cause the heavens to open up and the glory of God to descend down. Teach us how we'll go to all the nations and preach the word. Teach us all these things. But when they came to Jesus, what did they say? Lord, teach us to pray. Now, if you have your notes, if you don't have notes, you can get some. They're back there, I think. When he said, teach us to pray, there's something powerful about that. Because they realized they were watching Jesus pray. They would watch him when he always prayed. And then they would watch the results of what happened after he prayed. And so Jesus would go up on a mountain. Remember when he was transfigured? It says that he didn't go up there to be transfigured in front of his disciples. Right? Matthew 17. It says when he went up on the mountain, he went up with Peter, James, and John, and they went up there to pray. And while he was in the midst of prayer, he was transformed, and he turned into his glorious figure. And Peter and James and John are like, whoa. How did that happen? It didn't happen because Jesus was trying to be glorious. Anybody. We're all running around trying to be glorious. Somebody please recognize my gift. Somebody please tell me that I'm so important. Somebody please come and pat me. Somebody recognize me. Jesus wasn't trying to do any of those things. Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. It doesn't indicate anywhere that he was going up there to be transfigured. He went up to pray. And the disciples would watch these things. And he would come out of the place of prayer, and then he would raise the dead. He would come out of the place of prayer, and he would preach, and all the people would be amazed at what he said. He would come off that mountain of transfiguration and be met with a, a, a young man with a demon in him and say, devil, come out. His disciples are trying to do it, and they can't do it. And Jesus just walks in and says, be gone, and he's gone. Everywhere that he went, he would pray, they would watch him, he would come out of that place of prayer, and God would move through him powerfully. 
So the disciples understood something that we need to get. They understood that if they could get Jesus' prayer life, that they could get Jesus' life. Because they were saying that Jesus kept on saying to them, you're going to carry this message. Out and do these things. You're going to be the one to go out and minister. You're going to be the one to go out and heal the sick and raise the dead and preach the gospel, and many will come out of darkness into the light. You're going to be the one to do that. Notice they didn't say, God, how do we do any of those things? He said, Teach us to pray. Because if we can learn to pray like you, then we will come out of that place of prayer and we will be able to do the things that you're doing. Amen? Anybody? Okay? And so he says, when he, he starts this not by saying pray for your needs or pray for the glory or pray that your prophetic gift will increase or pray that you will have a dream or pray that any of those things. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to start by saying, Father, may your name be kept holy. May your name be kept holy. Right there is the most important aspect of prayer. More than anything else is that we understand who it is that we're praying to. And then coming off of the backside of that, we have to understand what he thinks about us. So if you happen to be in your notes there, I want to say a couple things here. And First of all, the disciples understood that they could, if they could get grasp Christ's prayer life, they could experience Christ's life and ministry. The second thing in your notes, many believers want to have Christ's power and influence, but they do not want to fuel the fire of prayer. to reach somebody or to touch somebody or to, to use us to, to minister or to prophesy or to do whatever it is. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to fuel the fire of prayer that allows those things to happen. And so we say, Lord, I don't understand why you use this person and why you use that person and why you use that person. And many times what you'll find out is that that person that doesn't run around telling everybody about it because it's a private thing between them and God. But those people very often have been spending hours in prayer and they'll come out of that place of prayer and do all these great things. And then we get all like, oh, God, how come you use them and how come you don't use me? And the fact of the matter is, God could use any one of us if you're ready to fuel the fire. If you are willing to pay the price to fuel the fire, God will use anybody. Okay? All of the great people that we look at in history and we go, wow, these people are, were so wonderful. God must have just really loved them and really blessed them. And what you're going to find is every one of them had an intense, powerful prayer life where they would lay down everything about their life and say, God, here I am, here I am, whatever it is, me and you, I lay it down before you. So many believers want to have Christ's power and his influence, but they don't want to fuel the fire of prayer to shape Christ's ministry. So in all of that, what is the most important part of this prayer then? I'm just kind of getting, getting you in your notes here. The most important component of an effective prayer life is a clear understanding of who we are praying to and how he views us. You have to know who you're praying to. Well, I'm praying to God, Pastor. That's not some great revelation. Okay, well, who is he? Because I, I want to share something with you here. Once you realize who he is, you will immediately realize how unworthy you are to come into his presence. So you can't only understand who he is, but you have to understand how he thinks about you. Because who he is separates us from him, but how he views you draws us near to him. Oh, it is good. You guys are quiet today. Are you all right? Who he is separates us from him, but how he views us gives us an opportunity to draw near to him. And what we see that is that that is exactly what he wants is us to draw near to him. And so he'll do whatever it takes to, to get rid of that separation so that we can draw near to him. So when Jesus says, 
You want to know how to pray. Here's you, how you pray. You have to realize, he says, start with this. Father, may your name be kept holy. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Maybe you have. But do you realize the two different things that that, that that means? If he's a father, it means one thing. But if he truly is holy, it means something else altogether. If he's a father, I can draw near to him. But if he's holy, I'm separated from him. Anybody. If he's my father, I can come in, Father, here I am. But if he's God, if he's holy, then I'm stuck and I can't get into his presence. So Jesus says you got to understand this at the outset. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your name be kept holy. So, Father, who is he? He is God. He is God. Now, I struggled a little bit with this part because I just want to give you some stuff. And, and it's just kind of like doink, 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 okay? But I want to talk just about a few things about God. Because how do you explain God? I'm going to take a few minutes here today. Take about five minutes and I'm going to explain God to you. That's impossible. If I were to take the rest of the day or the rest of the year or the rest of my life and we sat here until our last heartbeat and our last breath trying to describe who God is, we still would not be able to describe who he is. But I do want to give you some quick hits today. Because I want, I, want to, I, want to inter, I want to introduce a little bit of a concept here. And so, so here we go, right? If you're in your notes, God is omnipotent. The God that we pray to is omnipotent. What does that mean? And I'm going to give you some Webster's Dictionary here. Omnipotent means he is one who has unlimited power or authority. Now, the shortness of that definition in, in Webster's Dictionary is that he has unlimited power and authority. Because when Jesus died on the cross, all authority was given to him. Okay? We, haven't, we hear these things a lot, and so the, the, the depth of what it means to us gets lost sometimes. But all power and all authority belong to the God that we pray for. Therefore, what need is there, what, what is there in our life that he cannot address? He's omnipotent. His power is unlimited. His authority is unlimited. Number two, he is omniscient. Webster's Dictionary, having infinite awareness, understanding, and insight. Not only does he all have all power and all authority, but he knows all things. Number three, God is omnipresent. Present in all places and at all times. He's with you. I thank you, God, that you are here in this room with us right now. But guess what? When you walk out of here and you get in your car and you drive home or you walk down the street or wherever it is that you go after you leave here, he's with you then. The Bible says that even when I'm down in the pits of hell in my life, that there he is with me. That there is nowhere that I can go in the heavens or on the earth or under the earth where God is not there and he does not see me and he cannot move in my life. There is nowhere. Oh, Pastor, you don't understand where I've been in my life. I, I, I don't understand it, but he does because he was there when you were in it. And then it says this in the word. May your name be kept holy. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. And he is holy. What does that holiness mean? Because we'll go, oh, I'm holy. I'm holy. You're not holy compared to God. There is no holy one on this planet that could walk into his presence without being. <laughs> you know them little electronic fly zapper things? <laughs> That's what happens when we go rolling into the presence of God with the way that we live our lives and the way that we think and the way that we act. He is holy. What that means is that he's unapproachable because there's no created being really that could ever come into his presence unless his holiness made a, a, a way for that to happen, right? There is no human being that can come into God's presence and say, God, here I am, and you need to hear what I have to say. It's like trying to fly to the sun. It's not that you, it's not that you can't touch the sun. Well, nobody could touch the sun. It's not that you can't touch the sun. It's that you would be evaporated thousands and thousands of miles before you ever got there. He is holy. He is righteous. There is no unrighteousness in him. He is, he is the definition. He is not holy in his character. He is holy in his DNA. It is who he is. Yeah. 
the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. God is holy above all things, and he needs to be honored in that way. That's why when he says, Father, may your name be kept holy, he comes in and he's like, make sure that you know when you go in there who it is that you're praying to. Here I am, God. God is to be honored. His name is to be kept holy. You know, scripturally speaking, the name, it's not about saying the name necessarily, but scripturally the name represents all that that being entails. So he says, may his name be kept holy. So when you talk about the name of God, the name of Jesus, it's not just a name that we throw out there. That's why you can't take his name in vain, because he is holy. He is righteous. He is powerful. And when we come into his presence, we have to understand that I'm coming into the presence of the almighty God. Moses said, God, let me see your glory. And God said, you can't see my glory. Because really bad things would happen if you saw my glory. But I'll put my hand over you and I'll pass by. And I'll let you see as I'm passing by. That's God. That's who you're praying to. That's who you're praying to. You know, some people are like, well, I'm going to hold on to that just a second. All right, before I get to that. <laughs> that God, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As you read through the scriptures, you find out. Now, now listen, you've heard this before, but don't let this pass by you today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God doesn't live in time, so I can't say one day, but you know what I'm trying to say. One day, God just said, what should I do today? What should I do today? I think I will create a universe. I saw a picture a couple days ago. Um, I, don't, I don't know which satellite or whatever it was from, but there was a picture, and it was off of Saturn looking at the earth. And it was just a corner of Saturn and part of the rings. I don't know if any of you saw this because it was kind of all over the news and whatever this week. But it's like just a corner of Saturn and a little piece of the rings you can see around Saturn. And it says, this is the Earth from Saturn. And it's just this little teeny tiny thing. If they didn't say that was the Earth, you would never know it's the Earth. You might have thought it was a piece of dust on the camera lens. That's the magnitude of God. That not only from Saturn to Earth, but everything in the universe. He said, I think I will create a universe. And, and then the Father had this grand idea to create a universe. Jesus spoke that universe, and the Holy Spirit hovering around it went, boom, and there was a universe. You know, people are like, oh, it wasn't God. It was the Big Bang. It's like, okay, maybe. Not evolution. But what did it look like when God said, let there be light? What does it look like when a universe explodes out of nothing? Ponder that. Think about that. When God speaks a universe out of nothing, what does that look like? I'm, I'm hoping one day when we get to heaven, we can be like, hey, God, could you run that video? Because I'd, I really would like to see what that looked like when a universe went shapoom in a moment. The Father thought it, the Son spoke it, and the Holy Spirit went boom, and there it was. And in Hebrews 1.1, you all know because it's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, says that that word that he spoke that went boom, that word that he spoke has kept that universe all in place all these many years. Why does the moon sit? Why does the sun sit there? Why does the earth tilt like this? Because God said, let there be. That is the God that you are praying to. Oh, God, I don't know if you could help me. But, man, I mean, I guess, Lord, if you could, if you could do anything. I don't know if you can do anything about my situation, God. But, but I don't know, I guess if you could help me. If God can speak a universe into existence with a word, I'm pretty sure that whatever's going on in your life, he can handle. The problem is not 
on God's side of what he can do. The problem is on our side of understanding who he is and what he's capable of. Because we, we picture God as like, kind of like one of us. And, and if, I go, if I go over here and I go, hey, Patrick, can you help me with this? He might be like, yeah, I can help you. Or maybe I can't help you. Maybe I know. Maybe I don't know. And we approach God like that. But God is not like us. God speaks universes into existence. So whatever is going on in your life, when you come to him in prayer, you have to come in knowing that he can do anything that needs to be done. Anything that needs to be done. But he's holy. So you can't come to him. That's why Jesus says, understand this second aspect. He's your father. He's a God that speaks universes into existence. And he wants to be, he wants to be revered that way. He wants to be kept in awe that way. He wants us to understand who we are and who he is. But he also wants to come in and let us know that he wants to be our father. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants it not to be like some, some religion where God is there and we are here and we can't be connected to him. He says that God wants to be a father to us. Now, again, we've heard it, but I know so many believers that are like, yep, 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 he's my father, he's my father. And then you walk out and you don't understand the depth of intimacy and love that he wants to have with you. He's your father. What does that mean? Well, watch this. In, in uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 2, when it says our father, that is this word pater. You know, we get the word patriarchs or all of that from this word pater. But there's an aspect of God's fatherhood in the scripture that is, is so absolutely mind-blowing in the context of who God is. And, and when every time you think about it, if you don't let it get stale to you, if you meditate on it, it can never get to a place in our life where we're not fully and completely blown away by it. Because in Mark, when Jesus is getting ready to go to his crucifixion, he falls down in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Abba, Abba. What is that? Well, it's a 1970s disco band. A lot of people, that's all they think. Abba. In in Romans 8.15, it says that when we come into relationship with God, we receive a spirit of adoption. And that spirit of adoption that gets inside of us causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, that God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts that cry out, Abba, Father, because we're no longer slaves of sin, but now we have become sons and daughters of the living God. That the spirit, when the spirit of God comes into us, that spirit cries out, Abba, now, what have we done because we're idiots in the church? We have turned Abba into this thing that is, oh, Abba, Abba, Abba. Abba, Abba is not this, like, thing. This Now, listen to me. Don't take Understand what I'm trying to get to you here today, okay? Abba is not a word of reverence. Abba is a word of relationship. Abba is not a word of reverence. It's a word of relationship. Now, God is holy, so we must reverence him. Amen? But when he says, Abba, Father, that's not a word of, 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 of that, that, oh, that is a word of relationship. Some of you know what this is about when I'm standing up here talking to you after church, and Judah and Addie will run up to me, and they don't care if you're standing here or not. You could be standing right in front of me, and they will run right past everybody and say, Papa! And if you've been in that situation, you know that my attention will immediately go to them. Because I love you all. I love you all. I'll give you the shirt off my back if you need it. But when my little ones run in and yell, Papa. When my kids were young, when they come in and say, Daddy. No matter what else is going on, you look over there. You, you can be in a crowd of hundreds, and when you hear your, your child or your grandchild, when you hear their voice, your attention will be immediately drawn to them. No matter what else is going on around you, that's what Abba is. Because we've made Abba this, oh, term of reverence, when really it's a term of relationship. Abba means daddy. 
If, if you're in the Middle East and they call out Abba, 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 it's like them saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And God, God re- reveals that in the word. He's not just like, I'm just your father. Because anybody can be a father, but it takes someone special to be a dad. Anybody know what I'm saying? Being a father and being a dad is not a mutually exclusive thing. Anybody can be a father, but it takes someone special to be a dad. And Jesus says, I want you to understand this, that he wants to be your father who is reverenced. He is holy and he should be honored, but he also wants to be your dad. It's a relationship. This is the thing about prayer. This is in your notes. Prayer is not a business agreement or a religious ritual. It is a relationship of intimacy and love with Abba who wants to spend time with us. Do you think that when you bring your prayers to God that he needs to know what it is that you're praying? Lord, let me come in here and let you know what you don't know. I got a financial need. I, I, Lord, uh, I got some sickness going on. Lord, I, I know you weren't aware of this, but, but, but I, got, I got some hurt going on here. I, I got some stuff going on. I just thought I'd come by and inform you because I didn't think you probably knew. Again, that's what we think prayer is. But you got to roll back to what we already talked about. He's God. He knows it already. So then why do I have to come and tell him what he already knows? Because he wants to be your daddy. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to come into that place of worship. What do we do in our lives? We're like, oh, God, I'm no good. I'm a sinner. I'm out here. I'm just going to hang out there. And God's like, don't hang out there. Come in here. There's nothing my kids have ever done that would make me say, don't come to me. Get away from me. Right? Now, I know that some of you have a hard time understanding that because maybe your relationship with your father wasn't so good. Maybe you had an abusive father or your father wasn't around or, or your father was around, but he was distant and he was cold from you. And, and you're just like, I don't know. And, and, you know, because we would never really want to say this out loud, but oftentimes we see God the way that we see our earthly father. We just do. I've been super blessed because I have a fantastic father, but I know that that's not the experience of everybody else. So oftentimes we're like, well, my dad was like this. And so kind of um, subliminal, subliminally or whatever, I kind of view God that way. That actually brings me to my second part here is that God, not only is God a father, not only is he God, and not only is he a father, but he's a good father. Some are, some are like, man, I wish you would just get on to the God and all the good stuff about prayer and intercession. And you would tell me how to pray and you would tell me how to war and you would tell me how to get on my face and you would tell me how to, how to worship and you tell me how to do all these things. And it's like you, none of that matters if you don't understand that your father is good. He's good. He's not up there trying to smash you. He's not up there trying to take you out. He's not up there with his back turned to you because you didn't do the right thing yesterday. He's a good father. In, in Luke 11, if you, if you go on now, I want to just point this out. In Luke uh, chapter 11, a lot of times we separate these things out so much. But verses 1 to about 13, 14 there are all the same treaties Jesus has given about prayer. Are you guys okay? You know, sometimes I'm like, I'm going a little bit long, and I'm sorry, and I'm going to try to hurry. But listen, I don't really care. If you got to go, go. Because I'm trying to get something across here, okay? The door's open. But because I need us to understand these things. He is good. And if we don't view him as good, then it, it skews the way that we pray. Because his holiness will skew the way we approach him. Because we don't understand that he is our Abba and that he's good. That all of his thoughts are good. Now watch this. When, he's, when, he, when you read on in Luke 11 and you get down to verse 5, we separate that out and we're like, you know what? That's a different thing than this prayer that he was praying before. But Jesus is still talking about the same thing. So he says, our Father who is in heaven, may your name be kept holy and give us our daily bread and all that. And then in verse 5 he says this. He says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. I'm sorry, wrong verse. Back up. You fathers, verse 11, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, so we're still talking about prayer. 
And he says, when you come to the Father, you, he, he says, compare this to your human good dads. Because your human good dads, you know, I was sharing with you last week, I was, was reading and, uh, some stuff about this, and the, the guy I was reading was like, that's a weird thing to say. It's a weird thing to say. Dad, I want an egg, and he gives you a scorpion. That's, that's a weird thing to say. Why would you do that? Why would a father do that? When a child says, I need to be nourished, and you put something in his hand that's going to harm him. But oftentimes, that's how we view God, right? It's how we view him. Like, if, if I'm going to be in relationship with you, God, then i got to come and i got to, like, beat myself on the back because I'm a terrible sinner and, and I can never repent and I can never get right and, and you're not going to hear my prayers because, you know, I'm this or I'm that or I was raised this way or that way. And, and Jesus says, good fathers don't do that. If you come to him and you say, this is God, this is what I need, then he's going to give you what you need. He's not going to give you something that's going to harm you. He's not going to give you something that's going to mock you. Something is going to disrespect you. He's going to give you something that you need because he's a good father. And he says, if good, if good human parents could do that, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will he give if we ask him? Our father is not only God and he's not only our Abba, but he is good. In all ways, he is good. And discipline in our lives, he is good. I don't want to be disciplined by God. Yes, you do, because his disciplines are good. In John 15, he says, those, those that don't bear very much fruit, he comes along and he prunes them. And we go, oh, God, I don't want to be pruned because it hurts. You want to be pruned because his pruning is good. Everything about God in relationship to you is good because that's how he thinks about you. That's how he, in James 1.17 it says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. In Philippians it tells us that he who began a good work in you. What kind of work? A good work. Will complete. If, the, if it was a good work when it started, what's it going to be when it's finished? It's going to be a good work. Is it going to be a good work because you were good at working it out? Absolutely not. It's going to be a good work because he's a good God. And it's going to be completed. Oh, man. It's going to be completed because he's a covenant God. He keeps his covenant when we don't. We're running around going, I can't. The covenant can't be completed because I've not been keeping it right. And God's like, I know you're not keeping it right. I knew that. In fact, it says in the word of God, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He cut a covenant with you when you were still out there in your mess. Lord, someday I'll get, someday I'll get good enough and I'll get righteous enough and I'll get right enough. And then at that point when I get good enough, then your blood will be enough to cover my sins. Listen, his blood was enough to cover your sins when you were out there laying in a ditch drunk. When you, you've been out there hating on your husband or hating on your wife, he was good there. He was out there when you were out sleeping around. He was out there when you were out thieving. He was out there when you were out lying. He was out when you were out cheating. When you were stuck out there in your addiction. At that worst place where you were ever at, he's like, this is the place where I died for you. This is where I, I died for you in this ditch right here. This is where I died for you. Oh, Lord, but you don't understand. It's so bad. I know. It was bad. I, I, I saw the worst of it because I'm omnipresent. I knew what it was going on because I'm omniscient. And it was at that point in your life that the blood became powerful to you. When God made his covenant with Abraham... He, 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 he cut that covenant, and then he knocked Abraham out. He made a covenant. In order to have a covenant, you got to have two people to make a covenant. And when he, when, he, when he makes a covenant with Abraham, he knocked Abraham out, and he made the covenant, and then he woke him up and goes, okay, the covenant is made. Why did he do that? Because he knew Abraham wouldn't keep it. And Abraham didn't keep it. Because he rolled down the road and told the king that his wife was his sister. He didn't keep the covenant. But weirdly, when you go, 
He said his wife was his sister. Did that a couple times. And then later on down the road, when God said, I'm going to give you a child, he's like, God, I realize you don't understand this, but we don't have a child and we're too old now. So we're going to go out and we're going to figure this out on our own. And so he went out and had an Ishmael. He broke the covenant. You realize that, right? He did not do what God told him to do. He did not trust. He did not have faith. And God said, I knew that before you did it. That's why I knocked you out when I made this covenant, because I'm a covenant-keeping God. So whatever it is that I deem I want to happen to you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you to that place. If you keep falling in a ditch every 15 feet along the way, when you say, God, I fell in a ditch again, he's like, I know, get back up and let's keep going. Because I began a good work in you, and I'm going to finish this work. If you're in your notes, the Father's thoughts for you are good. His plans for you are good. His purpose for you is good. And all of this is true because he is good. This is the last thing here, number three. Now, you're going to say this is a word I made up, but I looked it up in the dictionary. It's really there. Obviously, you saw it in the notes or something, right? He's God the Father. He's a good Father. And yes, it's in the dictionary. He is a get-outable God. He's get-outable. When I typed that into Word, it gave me a red line under it. It said, that's not a word. And I went to the dictionary and looked it up, and it was in there. Get-outable means that you have full access to, that you can get at it. If you didn't get anything else, you picked up a word today. God is get-outable. Look at Luke 11:5. It says, "Then teaching more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a father's house, excuse me, a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, "A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat." And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, "Don't bother me. The door's locked for the night, and my family and I are in bed. I cannot help you." But I tell you this, though he would not do it for friendship's sake. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, just quickly, I don't have this in the notes, but everyone, the word everyone in Greek means everyone. It does not mean everyone but Doug, everyone but Bruce, everyone but Joe. But again, is that not how we perceive God? Lord, I know you're a covenant keeper, but you're a covenant for everyone else but me. He, he, he is a covenant keeper to everyone. Everyone that will come to him, he will meet them. So when it says everyone, he means everyone. Now, there's a little thing in our, in our Bibles that's odd. And I'm going I'm to share this with you, and then we're going to wrap up, okay? Uh, I read this one to you today from the New Living Translation because it, it almost gets there. It says, uh, in verse 8, it says, because of your shameless persistence. Now, if you happen to be reading the King James, it will say something like, uh, um, uh, what is the word? I forgot the word. Importunity. It says because of his importunity. In the New King James, it says because of his persistence. Okay? Now, the crazy thing about, well, I won't say it. If you want to hear the crazy thing, ask me afterwards. But that's really... I don't ever, ever, ever want to say that something in our Bible is not wrong. So when it says shameless persistence, it is correct. It's correct. But there's an aspect that's missing in our translations. Because the, the word in Greek, in what I just read to you there, it says shameless persistence. And so that, that causes us inadvertently to view God in, a, in an incorrect way, I think. And, and here's the reason why. Because we read that verse and then we think that God doesn't care about us because he's like the guy laying in the bed that doesn't want to help us. 
but we'll just keep bugging him and bugging him and bugging him, and then he'll get so sick of us bugging him that he'll say, oh, fine. Fine, I'll help you. Anybody ever read that and thought that before? That's unfortunate because that's not what it says. So that, that word there, and I think I have this, if we can bring it up there. Shameless persistence in Greek is really only one word, and it's the word anadia, anadia. And that word means shamelessness or impudence. Now, impudence, we might think, means something else. So that's why I put the definition of impudence there. Now, I'm not making this up. I'm just telling you what it is. Impudence means a cocky boldness. So the literal definition of our approach to God is he says, I want you to, I want you to come in with a cocky boldness. Now, cocky is a word that, that you got to be careful with because you don't walk in there going, here I am, God, and you have to answer me. That's cocky. You got to track back to the beginning. He's holy. And he has the ability to go, But what, what it really means there is it's not by your persistence to a God who doesn't want to answer you and you just hound him and bug him enough and then he finally just says, oh, fine, I'll come and help you. That's not what that's about. What it's about is the shamelessness and boldness with which we come into his presence. I don't, I'm not sure if anybody got that. So if we'll get this, I'm going to pray and we're going to go home. So if you're ready to go home, let's grab it. It's not about, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. It's about me saying, I'm in covenant with you, and I can walk. What is it, Hebrews 4? It says that, that we have a high priest that understands in all ways what we go through. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. In fact, that word boldly, I don't have it up here, but it means the literal definition of boldly, come boldly to the throne of God, means the freedom to speak, a free and fearless confidence. So in Luke, Luke 11, when he says that he won't get up because of the friendship, but he'll get up because of shameless persistence, it's not a matter of, of just hounding God into it. It's that when we come to God with boldness and say, God, you're my answer, and so here I am. Here I am. I'm coming boldly because you're a covenant God. I recognize who you are. I recognize what you can do. Some of us are like, well, I'll just take my big request to God because I don't want to bug God with my little small things, so I'll just bring my big things to him. Which of your big things are big to a God who speaks universes into existence? He wants you. That, this is why. This is why. Jennifer's been talking about a verse over the last few weeks about the woman who pushed through the crowd and grabbed the hem of his garment. And he was blown away by her faith. The disciples are going, I don't understand why you're getting so amped up about that. And he's like, because she shamelessly persisted to run and get to me. And I will reward that because that's what I want. That's what I, see, while we're over in the corner going, oh, God, oh, God, I can't come into your presence. I'm too bad. I'm too much of a sinner. God is like, he's like looking past all of that. Go over there in the corner and you can wind there. When you're ready, come. And then somebody who doesn't deserve to be there, some, some sinner, some prostitute, some drug addict, some messed up person will just come running in and go, hey, God, I heard you were who you were, and I'm here. If you're here, help me. And God will say, I haven't seen faith like that in all the world. I haven't seen. And we're all us religious people are over here beating ourselves on the back because we're sinners. Oh, God. Oh, God. And then some sinner walks right by us. We're going, oh, why do they get to go in there? Because they understood that they have free access to God. Why you want to sit on the outside instead of just walking in and say, God, you already know I'm a sinner, but I know by the blood of Jesus that my sins are forgiven, that I am, I am the righteousness of Christ, not because of me, but because of him. And so while other people may want to do all these things, I'm just going to walk in. One, one time I went up, I was in Alaska, and, and uh, uh, I'm wrapping up here. Uh, I was visiting my friend Thad in, in a, I am, uh, you all know I'm very introverted and very shy, you know, like, I, I'm just that way, and so I don't ever really do, like, crazy stuff, and we, he, he was like, we were in uh, Anchorage one time, they were in Soldatna, and we drove to Anchorage, and, and uh, so we're just driving around town, and he's like, man, I've always wanted to see this one church, 
And so we drove into the parking lot, and it's like, wow, you know, it's big. And this church has a football stadium, a blow-up football stadium, like where a, a professional team played at the church's field. That was their field. And it's just like, wow, that's crazy. And so we're kind of wandering around the building. And he's like, let's just go in. I'm like, we can't go in. He's like, the door's open. I'm like, all right. So we, he just goes walking in, and the door, there's a gigantic church. Okay, we're t- big. And he walks in, and apparently they were having some kind of birthday party over in a room. So I guess that's why the, the doors were open. And, and he, he just walks in, he looks over there, and then he just goes. And we wandered all through that building. We, we went in, they had a room, like two levels of the building, and there's a room where they must have done all their media because there's, like, computers and, and recorders and CD stuff. And he just walks over there, and he just kind of walks in there, and he's looking around. And he's like, oh, man, this is really cool. This is really cool. This is really cool. And I'm like, what are we doing here? We're going to get arrested. He's like, oh, we're not going to arrest it. So we go back downstairs, and we wander around in the sanctuary, and, and they had a little bookstore there. So we wander over, and we're looking at the books they got there. He just, just shameless. He don't care. That's how God wants us to access him. Because he's, a, he's our Abba. When my grandkids run out and say, Papa, I like that. This morning I was up here worshiping before every guy walked in. They walked in. And the first thing, Judah, he runs to me, but he's got a thing. Like he runs out and then, Papa! Look at my shoes. You got new shoes. He's like, Papa, look at my shoes. I can run fast. I was like, how fast can you run? So fast. I'm, I'm, I'm having a moment with God up here. Don't run in and mess up my moment with God. He wasn't concerned with my moment with God. He was trying to get to his Papa. This is, this is the most important aspect of prayer. We're going to pray right now, okay? You have to understand who God is. Because if you'll understand who he is, you'll understand what he's capable of. The prayers that you think are too small to bring to him, all of your prayers are too small for him. Every prayer that you pray is too small for a God who speaks universes into existence. But he's not only God, he's your Abba. So if you want to run into his presence and say, look at my shoes, then he says, come. Bring your small prayers. Bring your big prayers. Because it's not really about that. In fact, I already knew about it before you got here. I just want to hang out with you. People are like, I don't know why you guys worship so long. We worship so long because I like hanging out with him and he likes hanging out with me. I don't know why we worship so short. You went for an hour. What are you talking about? Well, we didn't today. We were quick today. But sometimes we'll go and people are like, I don't know why you got to do that that way. Because I like hanging out with him. What you don't know is I'm in here a whole bunch of hours during the week doing the very same thing, but I'm by myself, so nobody sees it. You think you're somebody? I think I'm nobody. But I'm nobody that has access to God. So if you want to understand prayer, you need to spend some time understanding God who he is and how he sees you. Because if you don't understand how he sees you, every prayer you pray is going to be corrupted and messed up because it's coming through your human whatever instead of coming through a faith that he is who he said he is. And he loves me. And he loves you. And he delights to answer your prayer. Sometimes when he answers it, we go, that's not the answer I was looking for. And he's like, I know, but this is the one that's good. Do you want what you want or do you want what's good? God, I just want what's good. Really, at the end of this, I just want you. So whatever happens here, go for it, God, because I just want you. He said, you already got me. Just come on in. So whenever you pray, when you pray this week, you need to, you need to start with that, hmm, Who am I praying to? And how does he think about me? 
Because if you'll get that, you'll start getting answers because you will come in faith boldly. Father, we just come to you this morning. We're thankful for every single person that's in this room, whether it's the first time they've been here or they've been here for 15 years. Lord, thank you that they're here. For those that are watching online, if you guys just pray with me right now, like really tune in just for a second here. Father, one thing I know about, about us is that you're calling us to a deeper level of intercession, to a more powerful level of intercession, to an intercession that pulls down strongholds and sets captives free, that heals the sick. But Lord, we, we realize that none of those things can happen unless we have a, a right understanding of you. So I pray, Father, for everyone that's in this room, that your spirit would just descend on them even right now. And you would just begin to give greater revelations of who you are, of your power and your glory and your holiness, but also a revelation that you are Abba and that we can be shameless in pursuing you and it's not disrespectful, that it's actually the thing that you love and desire and are looking for someone to do, that we don't come in with disrespect, but we come in with shamelessness because the blood of Jesus has made a way and that you reward that faith, that you're not a God that's separate from us, but that you're a God that we can get to. And we can get to you any time, any place, any moment. We can get to you in our sin. We can get to you in our failure if we'll come and just say, Lord, I need you. Forgive me. Help me. That we can get to you any time. I pray, Father, that you would Stir the faith that you've placed in us. Lord, I'm not asking for more faith because you've already given everyone a measure of faith. But I pray that you would cause us to stir our faith for prayer based on the truth of who you are. And that you would do miracles in our own lives. That you would break strongholds in our own lives. And that you would use us through our prayer and our obedience, God, to you. Uh, to see many, many people come into your kingdom, to see many lives set free, to see many healed. And at the end of all of that, I pray that our greatest desire wouldn't be for any of those things, but it would be just to be with you and that you give us all these things as a gift. So I thank you for that today, Lord. Lord, just before I finish, Lord, I want to pray for those that may be struggling in one, whatever area that we talked about here today. Struggling with the concept of your holiness or struggling with the concept of you as a good father. Struggling with the concept of being able to come to you in faith and pray because of whatever is going on in their own life. Lord, I pray that you would break that. By the power of your Holy Spirit today, right now, I pray you would break that. That you would let your truth, Lord, we're not looking for a power encounter right now. Lord, we're looking for a truth encounter. Because the truth of your word is the power that sets us free. So I pray that you would do that in us today. We thank you for that, Lord. As we're leaving, I pray that everyone that's here and listening, God, that you would bless them and keep them. You cause your face to shine on them. That you lift up your countenance upon them. That you be gracious to them. Give them peace this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you.